today we're going to look at how Jesus is still the master over nature, how he is still the master over the storms of your life, and how he is going to provide for you. Next week we're going to see how he can provide for you in all situations. The following week uh, is going to be a special service as your pastoral staff will be here on both services, and we're going to be having a healing service. And so we're going to be praying with you, and we're going to have anointing oil. And if you want to come and be anointed or just raise your hands, and we will come to you on that week and pray for you for healing. And then on the fourth week, uh, we're actually going to be seeing how Jesus is God of deliverance. And so that could be a very powerful, powerful weekend. But all of these uh, miracles, all these, uh, this series leading up to a huge weekend in our church, I want you to mark it down on your calendar. It's September 23rd through the 25th. It's in your bulletin there. And this is going to be our Faith Promise weekend. If you're not familiar with Faith Promise, it's a weekend where we get to bring awareness and raise pledges for the mission work of PFN. It's kind of like if you listen to WCIC and every once in a while they have that pledge drive, you know, where they ask people for, for money, for, for pledges, except ours is going to be a little bit different. And we're not going to talk a lot. We're going to worship a lot. Amen. And uh, so uh, you won't want to miss uh, uh, that weekend. It's not like those pledge drives where you really just change to another channel. You're going to want to stay here for that. So it's going to be an incredible weekend. Um, we're going to do it a little bit different this year. Uh, we're going to have service. We're going to have worship in all three of our physical locations. And so on Friday night, we're going to be at Southside Community Center. We're going to get to hear some, some gospel music during the SEC Gospel Cafe. On Saturday, it's going to be kind of like that homecoming day uh, of praise at Summit Nazarene. And John Sherwood is going to be leading that music. And then our services here, we're going to have our very own PFN orchestra and our choir and the praise band all playing together. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be an incredible, incredible weekend. So mark that down. You don't want to miss those services. So for today, we're talking about miracles. And since we're talking about uh, the miracles of Christ, we should probably start with one of the most famous ones that people know about that's in the Bible. Whether you grew up in church or not, you probably have heard uh, of this miracle. It's the story of how Jesus came to calm the raging storm. In fact, this miracle had such an impact on the disciples that uh, they wrote about it three different times. So in Matthew Mark and Luke, both are all three of those gospels. All three of the writers have included this story in their gospel. We're just going to look at one of them primarily today, and it's from Mark's version. So if you want to turn there, I know it's in your handout. I know that you have it there. Or if you're watching online, you can download those sermon notes. It's there. But there's just something about grabbing that Bible. There's one in front of you in your pews. Just grab that Bible or electronically just scroll till you get to Mark and then hit chapter 4 and follow along with me. Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41 is what the word of the Lord says. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side and leaving the crowd behind 
behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. See, Jesus was not uh, one to ever show off while performing miracles. He did quite a few miracles. They're uh, recorded in the gospels. We know a lot of the things that he did and where we know that he probably did a whole lot more that's not recorded in the gospels. But he never was that kind of a show off type of guy that was showing off with those miracles. He never was the type of guy to say, hey, guess what's under my hat and and produce a miracle. That wasn't ever Jesus. In fact, he was quite the opposite. For every miracle that Jesus performed, it had a specific purpose uh, to teach a spiritual reality, or maybe it was to illustrate a point. And so in this miracle, Jesus had just finished teaching the crowds who were coming to to hear him. There was a big multitude of people and he was already teaching from the boat and he turns to his disciples and he said, hey, let's go on a ride to the other side of the lake. Now, unfortunately, this, uh, their leisurely boat ride turns into a disaster and they were caught in a storm that was so bad that the wind was pushing the waves up over the boat and it was threatening to sink them. Now, remember who was in the boat. A lot of these guys were already trained fishermen. They knew this area very well. And uh, so I'm sure that they've seen their share of of bad storms. But even even the fishermen were freaking out about this particular storm. This one is bad. In fact, that word furious in, in verse 37 in the Greek is seismos which is the English word where we get the English word seismology, which is the study of earthquakes. And so if you can imagine the waves like an earthquake were crashing over this boat and they were afraid. Meanwhile, Jesus is catching a couple Z's in the front of the boat and he's sleeping. And I think that was to prove that Jesus was a real Nazarene because Nazarene naps are important. Amen, right? I think that they should be practiced by all people every Sunday afternoon. So you have my permission, do nothing today, all right? The lawn will get mowed tomorrow. Don't worry about it, take a nap, okay? So, but I get it. I get that Jesus was exhausted. He was preaching all day and he may not look like it, but this takes a lot out of you. And every Sunday I'm exhausted. And uh, so here is Jesus and he's taking this opportunity, maybe just to catch this little cat nap. And maybe you're surprised that Jesus can sleep through such a storm like this. 
And you weren't the only one because that night uh, the disciples were outright horrified that their Lord, their Jesus was sleeping in the boat. They're drowning. He's sleeping. Maybe you've been through a, a storm like that. I bet each of you could probably point to a storm uh, or two where things started to seem like they're getting out of hand, like it was getting a little bit frightening. Maybe you weren't in a boat at the time, but I think we've all probably been through that storm that we could remember back when, and yeah, things were getting a little, little hairy there. We've all been through what we're going to call here, though, the storms of life, where we're just sailing through life, and maybe things seem like they're going well, and all of a sudden your world gets turned upside down. Have you been through those kind of storms? I'm sure you all have. Maybe it's, we, it's you or somebody you know gets into that serious car accident. Maybe the doctor's report comes back positive. Maybe the phone rings in the middle of the night. That's never good news, is it? And just like the storm that Mark describes here, these storms too are so violent that it seems like we're just going to capsize. It's going to swamp our entire life. And life as we know it after that moment is going to be different. Those storms of life are this pivot point in our life that we can look back to and say, after that phone call, after that report, after that situation in my life, my life was never the same. If you're taking notes, we're also going to look at a couple of these. One of them we're going to call relational storms. Relational storms. That starts maybe when your spouse comes up to you and says, we need to talk. Never a good thing, is it? <laughs> we need to talk. Or maybe that's when your marriage is blowing up in that argument. Or maybe you found out that a friend has betrayed your confidence. Relational storms are some of the worst storms that we can possibly go through. And they seem like they're going to sink our boat quicker than anything else. There's also those storms we'll call this morning emotional storms. Those storms in life can fool you because they... It looks like that person is doing just fine on the outside. It looks like they're peaceful, but underneath, below the surface, there is a storm brewing in that person. And you may be dealing with fear, or maybe you're just overwhelmed with everything that is going on, and you're consumed with worry or grief or jealousy or anger. And all it takes is just one little bump in life and you get set off and you're in a full-blown scale emotional meltdown, an emotional storm in life. Have any of you experienced those? I'm sure you have. As we just heard, uh, you know, Carol and I have been through the storm this week. Our family has, our boys have. We got a call last week that my dad was in the ER after he had fallen, and yesterday he was admitted to the hospice house in Peoria, and he's, he's not doing good. Loads of decisions this week had to, to be made, and I know a lot of you have gone through that exact same storm. See, that's a strange thing uh, about life storms. If you're, if you're taking notes here, this is the first one of the three facts about life storms is the first one is these storms of life are inevitable. I'm sorry, we don't have the screen working so you can figure out how to spell inevitable. 
You can cheat in church. Look at the person to your right or left and see if they wrote it down right. But storms in life are inevitable. See, in other words, they're going to happen, right? Storms in life are going to happen whether you want them to or not, whether you want, or you're trying to avoid them or not. There's nothing that we can do to stop that storm in our life. The Bible says in the book of James, he says, when you face trials of many kinds, not if you face, it's when you face trials of many kinds. And this leads me to the second fact we need to know about life storms is that they're unpredictable. Verse 37 says that a furious squall came up. Matthew says without warning, a furious storm came up. And you say, well, how, how big could this storm possibly be? I mean, uh, how big could it possibly be the, this night uh, without warning? Surely they would have seen it coming for hours. I mean, they, didn't they see the storm clouds coming towards them? Couldn't they have avoided it? Didn't they watch Al Roker that morning and, and know that there was a storm coming? But what we need to know about the Sea of Galilee, that it's notorious for having these sudden storms. The lake is uh, relatively shallow. At its deepest point, it's only about 140 feet deep, but it's 700 feet below sea level. And so the cold winds rush down from the mountains that are around it. And when that cold air collides with the warm air over the sea, it's an instant storm. In fact, it said that in one minute, the sea could be absolutely calm. And in the next minute, you're in the middle of a 10 foot wave. That's how fast things can happen there. But here's one thing I want you to notice about the storms from this story. And that's number three, storms are impartial. Storms are impartial. In other words, storms don't play favorites, do they? Storms happen to bad people. Storms happen to good people. Storms happen to believers. Storms happen to non-believers. Fat people get storms. Skinny people get storms. Conservatives, liberals, both get storms. People who choose plastic over paper, they get storms in their life. Storms are impartial. All of us face storms in our life. So being a good person definitely doesn't exempt you from life storms, do they? You know, some people get the idea that when they're going through a particularly bad storm in their life, it's because God is somehow trying to, to punish them. I want you to notice this from the story. The disciples ran straight into the storm, not because they were disobedient to Jesus. They ran into the storm because they were being obedient to Jesus. Jesus told them, let's get in the boat and let's go over to the other side. And so that's exactly what they did. They were obeying God. They were in the very center of God's will that day. And they still ended up smack dab into the worst storm they'd ever faced in their life. So when you go through that storm in your life, don't automatically assume that you've done something wrong. It may be that God has you exactly where he wants you to be. 
So storms by nature are inevitable. If they're unpredictable and they're impartial, I guess the real question here is how are we going to weather a storm when it hits our life? What should my response be when I face that storm? Since my family is in the middle of a storm ourselves, let us just learn this uh, quick lesson together. We can either choose to face that storm the disciples' way, or we can face the storm Jesus' way. When faced with a storm in, in my life, I can either choose to panic or I can choose to be at peace. It's my choice. The disciples uh, decided that they were going to panic. And here they were in this boat and they were screaming at Jesus and they're trying to get him to wake up and they're crying at the top of their lungs and they were saying, teacher, don't you care if we drowned? Carol and I have learned in life and in our marriage that usually it's either one of us that is panicking and the other one seems to be in peace. Rarely were both at peace at the same time, except for last Monday night. We were uh, driving back from Decatur. We had spent that evening with dad in the emergency room and uh, in the hospital. We were on our way back and Carol had just drifted to sleep and pow, our tire blew on the way home. Uh, the tire place that we got our tire fixed the next day told us that we now hold the record for the largest piece of metal that they've ever found inside of somebody's tire. Not the record we were trying for, but we got it anyway. So he, they showed it to me. It was about eight inches long and two inches thick. It was sharp on one end and it ended up in our rear tire of our car. And after changing into, you know, that little itty bitty little tire that they give you, that little spare tire, Carol commented on just how at peace both of us were in that situation. There was just a presence, God's presence had just completely overwhelmed us in the middle of that storm. Usually though, when people are overwhelmed by a storm or a trial, there's a way of uh, gaining some sort of security that you and I often do. And we try to get people to sink into our emotions. Maybe you've done that. For instance, if we're anxious and we're worried about something, what do we often do? We try to get somebody else anxious and worried along with us. If you're upset, we want other people to be upset about the same things that we are. We want as many people as, as we can to jump into our sinking boat with us. And, and we might say, we not only, we're not physically saying, but we're thinking it, hey, if I'm going down in this boat, I'm getting as many people to go down with me. But in this case, see here, the disciples wanted Jesus to sink into their fear. Jesus, wake up. Jesus, don't you care about us? But Jesus didn't see it the way the disciples did. Jesus didn't choose to panic about it. No, instead, he re refused to sync up with their fear. He chose peace over panic. Jesus said, 
guys, you need to sink with me. I'm not going to sink in with you. In fact, Jesus will never allow us to pull him down with our storm. Instead, he's always trying to get you in sync with him. See what the disciples saw as Jesus's indifference to their safety in their hour of danger was actually an ultimate trust that God was going to move. Here is this monstrous storm that is raging, and here we find Jesus calmly, serenely sleeping on a cushion. I think it's kind of ironic because one of the signs that you're in a storm is that you can't sleep, right? I know this past week has been a horrible night of sleep for me. See, when we're struggling with a trial or a relationship or it's an emotion, we, we lie awake and I don't know if you're with me, but we toss and we turn and we think about it and we try to, to work things out ourselves. Let me tell you something. Our church has had me lying in bed awake more than a few times, especially right now. Pastors do that, you know. As, as much as we preach to, to, to people to let the peace of Jesus saturate your thoughts, pastors are probably some of the worst practicers of that. One of the things that pastors all over our district right now I know are concerned about and that they're losing sleep over is church's finances. And it's no surprise to you that PFN is considerably down, but we're making it. It's close, but we're making it and we've cut expenses and we've made wise decisions and our board has been very proactive and made decisions like changing things for the long term. If you notice the lights in the hallways are different, now they're all LED. It's going to save us a lot of money over time, but it's still tight. And the other night before the news that my dad was uh, in the ER, I was in bed and it was a sleepless night for me. Uh, I was listing off to Jesus all of the things that I wished he would change. You know, I was giving him my entire laundry list of all the things that were wrong and all the things that he needed to start working out and to do something about. And that's when he said, Brian, can I open your eyes to what I've already been doing at PFN? And he reminded me, he said, Brian, you baptized 12 people, 12 people the other day, 12 individuals said yes to me, Brian, celebrate that. Six people joined the church and all but one of them started attending this calendar year. And then he reminded me that when we had the kids, you remember when we had the kids up here for pray for a child and blessing of the backpacks? I, I was looking back at the kids and I was just trying to pick out a, a spot where I could stand in between them and pray with them that day. And I realized probably a quarter of the kids who were up here, I didn't know. Uh, they weren't in kid zone when I was back in kid zone. When mom got home that day, she showed me the, her picture, her pray for a child picture. And she said, hey, would you tell me about this guy? And I said, mom, I don't know him. He's new here. I'll have to call Shauna. There were kids on the, the platform that I had never met. Do you know what that means? 
One, it means I need to get myself down in kid zone more, right? But, but it also means that in the last eight months, we've got a lot of kids showing up to church. Praise the Lord for that. And it's not just kid zone, it's refuge. Our teens, do you know that this year our teens have seen 50 new teenagers show up to church on Sunday or Wednesday? 50 new teenagers have come through here. And that's without, most of this year, without a youth pastor. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen, folks. So when our finance committee meets and we're going to figure out how in the world we are going to pay a, a youth pastor, I know that God is going to provide. I know he's going to provide the dollars because he's already given us the souls. He's already given us the people. And I was lying there fretting about the dollars and the cents. Jesus reminded me about the bigger picture. The bigger picture is the number of people. The bigger picture is the number of souls that we're reaching. And PFN is reaching people. You would think I would learn my lesson, but maybe that's just who I am. It's genetic. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> but I fret. I worry sometimes at night. Anybody else with me? You're the, yeah, we'll, we'll stay up together tonight, okay? But Jesus has shown me that while I'm wrestling at night, he doesn't stop working. Jesus might have been asleep in the boat that night, but God was still at work. In fact, you know what? Sleeping sometimes can be that statement of faith. Not now. Don't sleep now. But seriously, when we come to Jesus and we say, you know what, Jesus, this storm is just too big for me. I'm just going to give it to you. And I know that you're going to be up all night anyway, so I'm going to refuse to leave sleep over this. Because I know that you can handle it. That's the statement of faith. You want to learn how to live on that level of calmness no matter what your storm is? You want, do you ever want that peace of that the peace of Christ in your life. Just real quickly, I want to go over these three life preservers that I think he, he gives us, he throws us. I think we'll see these in this passage. If you're going to make it through a storm, even when it feels like you're sinking, when that storm is raging in your life, try to do these three things. The first one is this, realize God's closeness. You know, if they'd been thinking, those disciples that night, that they would have realized that there wasn't anything to fear. If for no other reason, that boat wasn't going to sink. Why? Jesus was in the boat. That boat wasn't going anywhere. There's no way that God is going to allow that boat to sink when Jesus is in it. So you need to make sure that Jesus is in your boat. Ask him. Ask him right now if you want to. Jesus, would you get in my boat? Because listen, there is nothing that you or I will ever face that we have to face it alone. Nothing. I'm still going to go through storms in my life. I know that he's not going to protect me from all those storms. But if Jesus is sitting right next to me, I know we can face the impossible and we're not going to sink. See, look around you. All the people 
in this room, the number of people that are drowning this morning. And I don't know all of your stories, but there's people here that are drowning in guilt and remorse and depression. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's financial bondage and you are overwhelmed. And maybe you've been looking for peace in different places, trying to cope, maybe just trying to sleep at night. You've gone to alcohol or drugs or pleasure or food or medication. You just name it. But you know it's not working. The only thing that works is asking Jesus to get in the boat with you. That's it. When you sink in with his peace, when you sink in with his faith, instead of worrying and fear, you become unsinkable. God is going to let your boat sink when Jesus is in it. And then number two, relax in God's care. What the disciples said to Jesus is exactly what we say to him when we're going through a storm. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care about my health issues? Jesus, don't you care about my bills? Don't you care about my kids? Don't you care that we're hurting? And the answer from him is always a resounding yes. Yes, I do. Peter was in the boat that night, and later on, Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, 7, he says, cast all your anxiety on him, Jesus, because he cares for you. I think the one thing the disciples did right when they got into the storm was to take their worries to Jesus. That's because when all is said and done, he's the only one that will ever calm your storm. And the last life preserver is found in Mark 4:39. It says he got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, "Quiet. Be still." And then the wind died down and it was completely calm. So number 3 is this, rely on God's control. Jesus stood up in the boat that night. The wind was, was blowing in his face and the waves were crashing over the sides of the boat. And he spoke three words, just all it took, quiet, be still. And immediately the wind stopped and the sea was perfectly calm. Try that sometime to your, to your storm, see if that works. Actually, the literal Greek here is translated. It's a little bit more forceful. What Jesus was actually saying in Greek was, sit down and shut up. <laughs> That'll preach, wouldn't it? See, Jesus wasn't asking the winds to stop, was he? He wasn't pleading for the waves to stop going over the sides of the boat. He was commanding them to stop. It was like he was in control of the forces of nature. It was like he was God or something. And of course he was. And so if you ever have any doubt of whether Jesus was God, this should settle it. The disciples' reaction is the same reaction that you'd have if you saw them that night. He says these men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? 
The point is that God does care about your storm. He does know about your situation. And you may think that sometimes Jesus is asleep on the job, but God knows just how long to let that storm rage in your life. And when Jesus is ready, he can stop the storm just like that. But until then, he's teaching you endurance and patience and trust. See, listen, God is in control of your storm. Even though my family is in the middle of a storm right now, he is in control of my storm. I don't know if I'm going to get the miracle that I'm asking for. But Jesus reminded me that the real miracle is that he's in the boat with me. And that's all I need. I know he's with me. I know Jesus cares for me. And I know he can keep me safe in the midst of all of this storm. Can you believe it? When we find ourselves in a situation that's out of our control, it frightens us and we tend to freak out and we tend to panic and we worry. And we may think that we need to control it. And we try so hard at it, don't we? But it's just about as useless as any of the disciples that night telling the waves to stop. The good news is that the things that are out of my control are well within the grasp of God. So I just need to hand them over to the one that has a proven record of calming storms. He's the master of our seas. And if he can calm this storm, then he can calm yours. See, Mark here teaches us to trust a savior, savior that just doesn't deliver us from storms of life. But this savior gets us through the storms of life so that we can get to the other side. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you know that my family is going through a storm, but we're not the only ones. Lord, this morning, there are so many here that are going through storms in their life. And you have proven us to us through your word, through what you did that night with the disciples in the boat, what you have proved to all the other boats that were in the sea with them that night is that you are the God over nature and you can calm any storm. And so, Lord, speaking on behalf of all of those here, all those that are watching online today that are going through storms in their life, we would ask you, Lord, that you don't just deliver us from the storm, but you get us through the storm. You see, you wanted the disciples to go to the other side of the storm. You knew it was going to come and you provided for them. So Lord, would you do the same for all of us that are going through that, this storm? Lord, show us the other side. Get us through the storm. And Lord, you've proven that if you can calm the winds and the waves, then you can take care of anything that we might hand over to you. So Lord, may we just hand to you today, willingly, the storms that we are going through. 
And Lord, I pray your blessings upon all of those that are getting hit in the face with wind and waves that you with three words can say, quiet, be still. I am in control. Help us to trust you that way. Lord, thank you for being a miracle maker. Thank you, Lord, for being in control over nature and the storms in our life. We thank you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Praying blessings over you the rest of this weekend. Love you. Thank you for coming this morning. And you're dismissed.